Amen. Continuing on today with the best sermon ever, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We are in chapter 6. Remember, we made it to chapter 6 finally. And we'll be looking at verses 5 through 8 today. I've entitled this uh, message, Communicating with God. It's going to be the first of a number of sermons about prayer. So how many of you for prayer? Anybody for prayer in here? All right, you can stay. Anybody against? You're going to have a long uh, week after week after week for a while. But we look at this and we are going to see what God's Word says to us today. I love kids' prayers. Have you ever heard kids' prayers? I'll share a few with you this morning. So I'm going to get in the position, all right? Dear God, please send me a pony. I never ask for anything before. You can look it up. Another kid said this, Dear God, please make my parents understand that if I don't eat salad, I do better at school. I mean, just putting it right out there. Oh, there's more. Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat. And I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> and one more. Dear God, we read Thomas Edison made light. But in Sunday school, God, they said you did it. I bet he stole your idea, God. I love kids' prayers. They're so honest. They're straightforward. They cut to the chase. Sometimes I like concrete thinking over abstract thinking, and uh, they bless me with that. Well, today we're going to study, if you remember from last week, what we talked about. Today we study that God not only wants our motives to be right when we give, that was last week, but God wants our motives to be right when we Pray. And I would say this to you, you may want to jot it down and really ponder this, but I believe prayer is the key to everything. I didn't say prayer meetings or congregational prayer, I'm not putting it in a box, but overall, generally, prayer is the key to everything. So whatever you're going through, has prayer been part of it? Whatever your future may look like, is prayer part of it? Whoever you're concerned about or working with or doing whatever, is prayer a part of it? Prayer is the key to everything. And Jesus instructs us in what not to do when we pray and what we should do. So we'll focus today on hypocritical praying, holy hidden prayer, heathen praying, and help from heaven. Okay, I squeezed those H's in there, all right? But maybe it'll help you remember that. Now, as we ponder prayer this morning, I want to share a few quotes from yesterday's, yesterday's. John Bunyan, you heard of him? Not Paul Bunyan, come on, you guys. Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, okay? Yeah. Here's what he said. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. That's good. That's good. I'm going to steal on that one, yeah. R.A. Torrey, 
We should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or in private, until we are definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to Him. That's going to fit in real quick with the first verse we look at. And then Vance Havner, the preacher of old, he was so crusty. He could get away with so many things. But this is a nice quote he has. Listen to Vance Havner. Prayer may not get us what we want, but it will teach us to want what we need. I like that. Let's read verses 5 through 8, chapter 6. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. We've heard that phrase before, haven't we? But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Let's pray together. God, my prayer is simple right now, a prayer of a few words. Open our eyes and ears and hearts to your words. Impact us, change us today from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So after saying all that, I also would acknowledge something else this morning, that prayer is an area of struggle for many Christians at just flat out truth. It can be difficult for Christians. And the, the question then, you know, I like to do this, okay, why? Why, God, is it that way? And do you know what I think one of the primary answers to that is? One word, Satan. You ever heard of Satan? Hmm, think about it for a minute. Jesus, think about Jesus. Jesus, uh, two most intense times of spiritual oppression, think Satan, or opposition, were when he was in the wilderness for 40 days. You remember that? When he was tempted. And the other one, I think, was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Before Judas and the soldiers came. And what's interesting, both of those occasions, Jesus is alone praying and praying fervently. So I think we have to watch out for what Satan might do in the Christian's life. Well, you're a Christian, but let me wreck your prayer life. So let us learn from Jesus' sermon today. Four points, I've already mentioned them. Number one, we find in the first verse, verse five, is hypocritical praying. This is the theme. Remember, last week we talked about the three areas, the pillars of good Jewish religious living the first one being almsgiving, this one being prayer, and then we'll get to, um, actually now, it'll be many weeks before we get to it, because we're going to spend a lot of time in the Lord's Prayer, but uh, fasting. So here we are. Look at it again. Whenever you pray, that's assuming something, you must not, you must not 
be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. Jesus is clear here. I love it. He simply tells us, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, you remember that word hypocrite. You remember the definition of it. It comes from a Greek word meaning to be an actor or pretender playing the part of another. And Jesus describes them praying this way. Now, we know the religious leaders were involved in this, Pharisees, others. Jesus doesn't say specifically it is this guy and this guy and this guy, but obviously there is a bunch of people doing it, okay? And he describes their praying in two ways. The first way is that they are standing in the synagogue. Did you catch that in verse 5? Well, what's the synagogue? The synagogue was the local gathering place for Jewish worship. Kind of like what we're doing here today, right? And Scripture said they loved to pray their long prayers in front of the worshipers. We know this to be true. And what I found interesting is there where it says they love to pray standing in the synagogues, that's not the love, that's not agape. It's not that good. It, the, the word used here is, Jesus uses, is phileo, the phileo love, which shows affection or fondness. Do you see the irony there, anybody? They were fond of their praying. They loved it. They were more than just fond. They had affection towards their praying. Hmm. They loved the public prayer, but not private prayer. And notice they are standing. You see that? Okay, let's move on. The second way Jesus describes this hypocritical praying is standing on the street corner. Now, what's interesting, the word that's used here, talking about uh, street or street corner, is not the, it's different than what was used in verse 2. You can go look at verse 2 and you'll see streets. It's a different word. This is the word that describes a wide major street where many people would be. If you live on the west side, the core is 528 and Ellison. Anybody ever been at that intersection? Okay, what would it be over here? Somebody help me out. Wyoming and something and Montgomery. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Okay, picture, picture that. Of course, don't picture cars. But pick, so we have narrow sidewalks and big roads. Just picture it all being right there. And it's this large or wide major street, this corner where many people would be. And so the implication here is that the hypocrites love to pray in that spot with the largest audience. Now, I know some scholars would tell us that that's also a place where people might stop and do business and talk. But these hypocritical prayers are not stopping and doing business or talking. They're getting, everybody is there, and so they are praying. They are praying to the largest audience. Uh, John Butler called this, I love it, the publicity prayer. Have you ever seen a publicity prayer? I've seen some presidential candidates in my day actually go into a church and they pray. Okay, I'm not here to judge them, but I can inspect their fruit, and I'm like, um, this might be a, not a very natural occurrence for you, sir, or ma'am, to be praying that way. And so here they are. They have affection or fondness about their praying in the synagogue, 
And they like the large audience in which to pray. Can I just tell you something about, about me? The large, I, I don't pray that well with the large audience. Maybe you've noticed that. It's kind of intimidating to me. And yet I pray multiple times usually on Sunday morning. But they would get up there and let me, David, no more singing, no more songs. Preacher, you don't get, let me just pray for the rest of the morning. That's the kind of folks that we're looking at here. And what does Jesus says? Jesus says, don't pray like these hypocrites. Now, I want you to catch something. I don't want you to go out of here saying Jesus is saying no public, public prayer. Absolutely not. Jesus is not condemning public prayer. Let me share with you a sister verse. It's Luke 11, 1, and this is the descriptor. He, being Jesus, he was praying in a certain place. Did you catch that? He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, the doves flew. No, it doesn't say that. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And of course, the Lord in Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer comes out of that. And we're going to be getting to the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, starting next week. Did you catch that? He's in a certain place praying, and obviously the disciples are around. One of them comments and asks for that. So Jesus is not condemning public prayer. Matthew 14, 19. Then Jesus commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. You remember this great miracle? He took the five loaves and two what? I thought you might have thrown in red snapper or what, trout, whatever your favorite fish was, right? He, 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 what we miss is that before the miracle takes place, Jesus in front of 5,000 men who knows how many wives and kids, disciples and everything, he does what? He looks up to heaven and scripture says he blessed them. Another word for what? He's praying to the Father. And then he broke the loaves, Scripture says, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. We forget sometimes how it started. So Jesus is not condemning public prayer, okay? What he's saying is, though, don't pray like the hypocrites. So what's the point, Lamar? The point is this. Motives matter, just like last week and this week Motives matter. You see, God sees the heart, not the puffed-up prayer, not the long-winded prayer, not the whatever prayer, but Jesus, God sees the heart. He knows the true person who is praying, and he knows the hypocrites, doesn't he? How does the verse end? They got their reward. They got their reward. Human praise, great. It's not very much in the eternal scheme of things, is it? Jesus says we not, must not pray like them. Now look, look at verse 6. Verse 6. But when you pray, see how he changed it? When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So number two, we have this holy hidden prayer. Here, as Jesus does continually in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the higher standard. Aren't you grateful that God does not leave us where we are? Anybody? I am so thankful that when God saved me, he did not leave me where I am. 
Now, Lynn might say he's got a lot of work left to do in Lamar's life, and that is true. But he, the Scripture says, he who began a good work in you will do what? When Jesus comes back, it'll be completed. Or better word, it'll be mature. So it's happening. I remember the little uh, badge that had all the letters years ago that used to say, I'm not what, it stood for, I'm not what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I was. Anybody old enough to remember those? I'm the only one. Okay. That's before WWJD kids. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's a higher standard. I am so grateful. I'm not interested in following a God with a lower G that says, just go with the flow. No, I worship and serve a God with a capital G, one that has a higher standard, one that is constantly working and molding me and you each day in our lives as we are open to him doing that. Now, this higher standard is an example of proper motive in prayer. Notice it doesn't require a large audience. Did you catch that? But it does require an audience. It's an audience of one. Have you heard that phrase before? An audience of one. God is the audience here. You see, the right motive for prayer is praying to be heard, not by others, but by God. Three things I see here in this verse. I think the first phrase assumes something. Number one, we must have a willingness to take time to pray. He says, but when you pray, is that not assuming something? His hearers then, and for us today, there's the assumption what? That you're going to do it. You're going to take time to do it. And I will tell you right now, that is the most difficult item in my life, is taking the time to pray, okay? I'll bring you guys, let's get the microphone. We're going to bring you all up, and you can tell us what's the most difficult for you. No, you don't have to, but I will say that. That's why some mornings my door, office door, is shut. And Susan will take you down if you try to get in my office door, all right? <laughs> Just kidding, Susan. Yeah. It's for study sometimes, but sometimes it's for prayer. So we must have a willingness to take time to pray. So as you're evaluating yourself and you're like, I want to pray like he's telling me to pray. First one is this. Do uh, do you have margins? Have you put margins in your life to take time to pray? And listen, Christian parents, I'm not talking about the family prayer time after breakfast or whatever, whatever you do. That's good. Husband and wife, I'm not just talking about the time you might pray together prayer for this or that. It's getting alone with God and having a margin time. And there's no time set on that. I don't know if it's five minutes, ten minutes, an hour. I don't know what it is for you. God knows, but we must do that. Number two, besides a willingness to take time to pray, we should have a place to pray. Now, don't get hung up on private room. He's responding into their context. That phrase is talking about a room inside that has a door inside of the abode, if you will. Listen, it can be anywhere that's private. Would you agree with that? Guess where my wife does most of her praying? On the streets of Albuquerque as she is walking or running. She is spending time with God. I've already mentioned to you, I like sitting out back and listening to the gurgle and focusing in on the Lord. What about for you? It doesn't, you don't have to have this private room in your house, which some people have said. 
You don't have to set up an altar. You can if you want. You don't have to, you know, I'm not asking you guys all to go add on to your house room. But where is it? You should have a place to pray, the private room. I know we can pray anywhere, but do we have a special, hear me, do we have a special, deliberate place to spend time with our Father? And I know we have parents in here that have little kids. Some have multiple little kids. Good luck. But you got to do it. you got to find a place. you got to find a place. Colin, Colin was up... Uh, uh, playing the gar- guitar with us this morning. Uh, he, they're one of the couple, couple families in the church that just have had new babies. Good luck, but you've got to find a place. You've got to be able to do it, okay? So where is it for you? So as we try to reach this higher standard, we've got to be willing to take time. We've got to have a place to pray. Number three, we must have a personal relationship with our Father. Look at verse 6 again. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, Pray to whom? Pray to your Father who is in secret. That tells me, your Father, that you need to have that personal relationship with God. You see, Scripture tells us that God loves His children. Aren't you glad? And I want to ask you, are you a child of the Father? I was reading this morning in... John chapter 1, I want to share a few verses with you. Don't worry, I'm not going to go, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm going to start in John uh, 1, verse 10. And you think about that. Are you a child of God? That's the question I'm asking you right now. He, talking about Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him. Pretty impressive, right? Yet the world did not recognize Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's a big indictment, isn't it? And then we get to verse 12. And this shows that today, if you want to be part of the family, if you want to have Father God in heaven being your Father, Jesus, your Lord and Savior, being a child of the King, part of the family, look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. You see, Jesus is ready and willing to save you today, to rush into your life. If you will repent, turn from your sin, turn from your ways, run to him, acknowledge, do what the verse says. I believe. I believe, I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. I believe that you conquered sin and death and the grave and Satan and all that stuff. When you rose on the third day, we call that resurrection. I believe. And I believe that your word says, if I come to you, you're not surprised, you're ready, you're the one who can save and you will do that. So I want to encourage you really to think about that. So holy hidden prayer verse Verse uh, 6, uh, take time, have a place, make sure you have the personal relationship with the Father, or good luck with those prayers, right? Good luck. Now, here's the example. Jesus gives us an example of this, and I love that. Jesus always has given us examples of what he wants us to do. Mark 1.35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, 
and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Do you see the example? Luke 6, 12. During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Wow. What a great example. You see, God is there with us when we pray in this way. That's what it means in the secret. God is there with us when we pray this way. And there is reward, and he rewards us as we are praying holy hidden prayers with his presence and his blessings. Notice I didn't say position or power or prestige, but blessings and presence. Let's move on to verse 7. Heathen praying, verse 7, heathen praying. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus now, in these next two verses, gives what I think are three rules for praying. So I'm getting ready to give you the first two, and then in verse 8 will be the third one. These first two are negative rules. They're like the do nots. Are you familiar with that? The do nots. Don't do this. Okay? And these are the model of the heathen or pagan. In my version, it says idolater. It's their praying. Number one, here's the first rule. Do not... Use meaningless repetition. Use meaningless repetition. Next week, we will begin our journey in the Lord's Prayer. How many have ever heard of it? If I said, our Father who art in heaven, could you finish it? Yeah, a lot of you could. Unfortunately, for millions and millions of people, the Lord's Prayer, I like to call it the model prayer, has become a rote memorized prayer with no thought behind the words. Are you aware of that? Even used the Lord's Prayer as a formula for some type of forgiveness or some type of special blessing. And, and Jesus shows that. And the word is Babel. Did you catch that? Interesting word, biblical word here means to speak foolishly, to babble much, to use many phrases without content. Do you see that? It's not just the volume, but it's, it, there's no content to it. It also means to say idle things, to say meaningless things, repeating the same thing over and over. Wow. That's a big word. It is the direct opposite of Ecclesiastes 5.2, where we are told to let our words be few. A better translation of that would be, let our words be deliberate. Think about that for a minute. Do you see the difference between on and on and on without content and less and less with content, deliberate praying to the Father? Wow. You see, this type of praying is ritualistic. It's full of big religious phrases. I'm telling you, anytime something is a ritual, watch out, please. Anytime something gets super religious as opposed to Christian, watch out. Watch out. These people, these idolaters, they say it over and over, thanking God hears it because of the religious talk. 
Oh, but it gets better. Number two, the second rule, is another do not. It's simply this. Do not speak so much when you're praying. Here's something that I read that smacked Smack me. You ever been smacked right here? No, I don't mean when you're in high school and you're in fight. I don't know. But I mean, has the Lord, the Word ever just smacked you right here? Anybody? As you read the Bible, it's reading you? Yes. Man, this hit me. Length does not equal devotion. Wow. You see, the Scripture tells us they imagined they would be heard for their many words. That's what the Scripture says. We should not believe that God hears our prayers because our prayer because it's lengthy enough. There's no timetable on it. We should not be concerned with length, but instead be concerned with sincerity and transparency. Let us ask this question. Is my heart genuinely poured out to you, God? You see, prayer is a matter of the heart, not a matter of words or length. Case in point, Jesus describes the Pharisees in Mark, other places, but in Mark 12, 40. Here's his description, Jesus talking. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. And then the verse ends with this. Jesus says, these will receive harsher punishment. Jesus is not teaching that we cannot have long prayers, okay? Hear me. Okay, that's not what it's, not what it's saying. Again, he's the example. He prayed all night. Do you remember that? Jesus prayed all night. The disciples prayed and sought God at length. Jesus encouraged persistent prayer. He is not talking about the fact that we can have long prayers. What he is condemning is the shallow repetition of words that are not offered with a sincere heart. So let's check ourselves. Is our heart sincere when we're praying to God? Let us let us not pray in the way that these folks did, the way of the idolaters. Let us not be trivial or insincere. Again, a quote from John Bunyan. Here it is. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without heart. I get it. Do you? Number four, verse eight. Help is on the way. Man, I, I'd like, I love this part right here. Help is on the way. You see, the third rule for praying is positive and powerful. Look at verse 8. Don't be like them. Okay, we get it, Jesus. Because, here it is, your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. The third rule, the positive rule, is simply this. Two words. Trust God. Oh, oh, if church, if we could just trust God. If we could just trust God, it would be amazing what would happen, what God would do in our lives, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our city. It would be unbelievable. Trust God. You see, prayer, if it's done correctly, like Jesus wants us to do, prayer demonstrates our need for God and our dependence upon God. Prayer gives time for concentrated sharing and closeness between the believer and God. It is not enough to carry a knowledge of God. We have too many Christians running around that are carrying a knowledge of God. It's not enough. Christians, we need the presence of God. How do we get the presence of God? We get it in prayer time. This is a powerful truth stating God knows what we need before we pray. You'll remember Psalm 139. We preached on that quite a while back now. And it's in three sections. And it shows that God is 
omniscient. Do you remember what that means? I thought someone would holler it out. Thank you. Omnipresent. Yeah. Omnipotent. For those of you listening online, that was all-knowing, everywhere, or all-present, and all-powerful. Psalm 139. Yet we often forget this. And Norman Geisler, one of my heroes, man, he, he beat the drum for this. There's a fourth omni that we forget, and it's the fact that our Father in Heaven is omnibenevolent. It's never included with the three, but that means all good. It's talking about the love of God, the goodness of God. It refers to His infinite, unlimited goodness. You see, God is love both in, it's an attribute of His as well as an activity of His. Listen, we are his children. We can rest in him. He knows us. He cares about us. He even knows what we need before we ask in prayer. God, our Father, let us trust him. Mm. Omnibenevolence. Go impress your friends this week with that, all right? Think about it. Okay, Lamar, why pray? What? Why pray if God already knows? Why pray if already, God already knows? Here it is. God, in his sovereignty, has appointed prayer as the method through which he blesses and moves among his children. I believe that. I believe anytime you see a movement of God, anytime you see a blessing in a person's life, maybe a church and you're celebrating what's going on, or maybe a revival somewhere, or even things like the Great Awakening and all that. Listen, that God, it's the method. He's appointed it. He's made it so. The method for all of that is prayer. Isn't that awesome? So let us trust in Him. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. We must trust in God. Someday we'll get to chapter 7 in the greatest <laughs> sermon ever. Matthew 7, 7 says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. What's the context? Jesus gets to it in verse 11 of that chapter when he says, how much more, forget your dad now, how much more will your father in heaven give good things? Trust God. He knows what we need before we ask. Let me close in this way. Church, let us be encouraged to pray. It cannot, listen, it cannot be something we check off of a to-do list. It can't. Now, if you need to start there, you, don't, you haven't really had a prayer life, then by all means start there and check it off. But after a short period of time, it should become a habit in your life. It should become a way of life. So let us be encouraged to pray. And when we pray, look who we are speaking to. Look who we are talking to. God, the one who knows what's going on, the one who knows our problem, our situation, the one who knows and understands us better than anyone else, and most importantly, the one who has the solution. Think about that. We can run to this person or that person. 
Even pastors, elders, it's okay. I'm happy for that. But God has the solution. We should run to him. Think about it. Church, let us be encouraged to pray. Our greatest need is the need to be saved from our sins, to be rescued, to repent of our sin, to run to God. And again, I would ask you today, have you believed? Have you turned and God just brought you right to himself, to a a crisis of belief, a crisis of faith, and you go, God, I acknowledge you. You're the one. Would you save me? Have you done that? Has God saved you? Talk to him. Pray. God, I know I'm a sinner. This ain't working. I come to you. It's not anything I do, God, but I, I, I get right in front of you and ask for your forgiveness. God, I know you can forgive. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you save me? Would you come? Would you do it? Would you be my Lord? Would you be, take over my life, control it, be my boss? Has that happened? If not, why not today? Christian, let me ask you a question. What circumstance are you facing today? I know of some. I don't know of all. Just look around for a minute. The various circumstances that could be going on in lives and families right now. Prayer is the key. And Jesus has shown us how not to do it and how to do it, his higher standard. Church, let's communicate with God. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to do something different. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to ask that you would pray right where you are. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to walk around. But I just feel like we should spend a little time in prayer. Again, if anything, Lamar, I don't know what the prayers say. Pray those verses. Pray verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. Pray the Word of God. And if God has spoken to you about any of these areas, would you just pray to Him? This won't be long. There's not time for repetitions. It's just privately right here. So let that chair you're in or that living room you're in at home, let it become your private room, so to speak, all right? So let spend some time in prayer. Let me lead us, and then we'll just allow God to work through our prayers for a few moments. God, today, you have shown us the importance of prayer, the key that it is, the appointed method that you have chosen. God, I pray right now during this time that people would pour their hearts out to you. Whatever you lead them to pray, whether it's your scripture, whether it's intercession for someone, whether it's introspection of something in our lives, whether it's praise and adoration, thanksgiving, concern for the lost, whatever it might be, Lord, right now, we're going to give you a few moments the power of praying people right here together. God, we acknowledge that you're omniscient. We acknowledge that you can hear all of our prayers right now and answer them. And we thank you as we pray, God, that you already know 
what we need. Church, let us pray. Would you spend a few moments? God, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that you are aware of every situation, every person, every aspiration that has been presented to you in prayer. And God, we thank you that you're sovereign, that you know everything about all of those that are prepared to work in our lives. God, I just pray as, as a, a prayer for our church, that we would be willing to take the time, God, that we would build in margins of busy lives. We pray that we would regularly have that deliberate place, special place to do business with you. Above all, God, I pray that each person here this morning or listening to my voice today you would assure them that they have a personal relationship with you. And if they do not, God, would you draw them right now? God, would you leave, lead them to saving faith? They would trust you. Thank you for the privilege to join together and to pray. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.